right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. As always, I am your host, Bailey Eigbrett, and joined with me today is not the captain, but all the way from uh, Colorado helping me out today, Mr. Adam Deacon. What's going on, dude? Dude, not much, man. I'm excited, excited to get on the show. And uh, yeah, nothing crazy. Just trying to wrap up the work week, podcast week, getting things uh, wrapped up. I'm headed to go watch uh, my brother at NCAAs in Detroit, uh, looking to uh, wrestle for an NCAA title. So super excited to go watch that happen. Yeah. So a few things on that. First off, thank you for uh, subbing in for Andy today, because uh, it's it's honestly a, a different time for us you know, recording wise, but, uh, our, our guest today is one that we, we love to get on this show. So we, we made a special time to get him on here because we want to pick his brain. I think most of the fishing industry wants to pick this guy's brain and, uh, but two, it's nice to get, it's been a while since you and I have been able to do a show just you and I without Andy. So it's good to kind of mix up the hosting a little bit, especially for today's episode, because you and I, we have a lot of technological, you know, fishing tech conversations we go back and forth so this will be a really good one i feel like today but uh for folks who may not know enough about you deacon is that uh you're the tech savvy fishing guy but the you're you're the brother of of you is the the athlete of the family. Dude. oh yeah. dude no like i i uh i am the I wasn't a bad athlete, I would say, but I wasn't a great athlete. And my brother and my sister are both incredible athletes. And my brother is uh, is in his super senior year at college at Northwestern. Um, for anyone that's into wrestling, 157 pounds. He is wrestling. Uh, he's ranked second in the country. And uh, so it would be cool to see if he can make the finals match and uh, shoot for an NCAA title, which he's been really close in the past. So it would be cool to see him get it done. Heck, yeah. And correct me if I'm – wrong but he's like got his own business and stuff started right uh no not necessarily i mean i guess like you know how athletes can monetize now uh so so there's some stuff there but not necessarily uh his own uh his own thing yet but um i could see him getting there at some point he's very uh financially savvy and and likes business world i thought he had had like some brand coming i thought i saw on your social maybe he has like some camp or something where he's teaching kids I don't know, either oh, way, yeah. I thought he had some business mindset that must run in the family going on, but no doubt, man. He's always looking for something like that. And like you said, camps and, um, yeah, he's got a clothing brand, I guess, I guess you'd call it that. And that okay. was, uh, what I was kind of referring to monetizing wise with athletes, but yeah. Heck yeah. Sweet. Well, dude, uh, we're going to get to our guest here in a second, but I have to say that it is honestly an amazing day for us here in New York because I look outside. Well, honestly, I'm, I'm pissed cause I have work from home, so I haven't had much time to get outside. But, dude, it is 65 and sunny here in New York, and I'm going to have my first day of open water in New York this weekend, and I am beyond excited. No way. And is that like, I mean, are you, is it, is it like your first day there, is ice off, like done, you mean? Like it's going to like not going to come back, or is there a chance things could still ice up? So like it's that stage where a few specific bodies of water will be open, but there's still okay. a bunch of lakes that are locked up and will be for another maybe week or so. Sure. But it's like, it's been one of those days where all the windows have been open, letting the breeze go through. You're just like happy because like spring is finally around the corner. And for those in the North and those that know fishing ice out in the North is bonkers. So I am beyond excited to get out and get fishing. So the the extended forecast looks really good. It should be as of this weekend, the ice should be gone on some lakes and should not be coming back for the rest of spring. Thankfully. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Awesome. That's exciting. Yeah, so look out for some more 
fishing content coming from New York finally after a hiatus of stuff this winter with the the ice being stupid and all. But Heck I think yeah. enough of that, and let's uh, let's get our guest down here for today, Mr. John Soka. What's going on, sir? Hey. What's going howdy, on? Howdy, howdy. It's been a little bit since we got you on the show, but we're glad we got to – I know you're extremely busy, so thank you for taking time to, to get on here and, and chat with us. No, thanks for inviting me, guys. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Yeah, we, we stole a couple hours of uh, your time today before you go on your – you said it was you know, a five-tournament binge? <laughs> yeah, that's what it is, a binge. Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to figure out what to call it either because I think I'm calling it stupid. It's – it is five tournaments. It starts uh, with Cherokee, the Southern on Cherokee. Um, but I think I've decided today to bail out on tournament number two. Uh, it was going to be Cherokee Lake, directly from Cherokee Lake, drive down to um, Alabama and fish the Ray Scott. And that's the one I think I'm going to pull out of. Mm. And from the Ray Scott, I was going to go to the James River, which is the Northern Open. And then from the James River, drive back down south and fish the NPFL on Hartwell. And then immediately leave Hartwell and go from Hartwell to uh, the Mississippi River and fish Ross Barnett, the first central on Ross Barnett. So it was going to be back, you know, five back-to-back-to-back weeks on the road. But I think I'm going to leave my uh, truck and boat up in uh, up on the James and fly home for a week and then fly back and get a little respite and see my baby and my my wife and kids and you know recharge that way yeah that it is will it, it will be three weeks back to back to back to back you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a lot <laughs> Dude, that's a ton i uh <clears throat> i can't imagine that that much back to back to back i mean like two weeks in a row i've done two and then one off and then a third i think and i was like beat i mean it was just like man you go and you go and you go so that's uh that's going to be exciting and i think that it may be a smart move taking that one one break in between get home and recharge. Yeah. I think the most I've ever done was like I think a week and a half at one point. Granted, I was sleeping in a Nissan Ultima somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but still I was like, I don't know how I I gave so much credit to these guys. Like, especially like guys from out west that come and oh. do it for months All at right. a time. It is insane. Just being yeah. away from home, like I, I can definitely be a homebody. I like to travel, but uh, it's it takes a special breed to do it and do it success, uh, successfully. Yeah, the longer I've done it, uh, and the older I get, I guess I should say, the, the quicker I get homesick. It takes me about two hours on the road right now to get homesick, and I have to keep myself extremely busy and focused on fishing when I'm gone to not feel it. Like that last event, the MPFL in Cumberland with all the this, uh, canceled days. And I mean, it just had me going nuts. Like I was just ready. It actually beat me mentally before the tournament even start. Cause I was just like, I'm, I'm sick. Well, if I knew I'd been on the water, just focused, I, you know, you can kind of brush it off, but you got to stay busy or I have to, or it's not, it's not good. Yeah. And I know like FaceTime and things can make things a little bit easier because you can somewhat see them, but at another sense, it probably makes it a little bit harder too, because you're seeing them through a screen, not versus in person. Yeah. And we got a two month old baby right now. He just turned two months a couple of days ago. And, um, you know, you can't, you can't pick him up and help him, you know, and coddle him and cradle him and, you know, take that relief from, from mama over, you know, FaceTime. So, you know, that's that's a super challenge for us as a family this time. It, I mean, obviously, we really weren't planning on on uh, Joel's name coming around, but 
you know, we're thankful he did. The plan was the kids go to a little private school. The school loves fishing and loves the kids. And so they were going to let the kids, you know, travel with us and kind of uh, work virtually. And so do a little almost homeschooling, but, you know, through, through our private school. And, um, you know, that's just with the new baby, that's not going to happen this year. So, Dang. but you know, the, the goal is to fish the opens and give it a swing and see if I can qualify for the elites. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not too arrogant enough to think that anybody can just, you know, a Jason Christie can, but you know, those are the big, I mean, uh, those, that's Jason Christie, you know, that's uh-huh. Greg Hackney. That's Mike Iaconelli. That's, that's not, you know, to me, I'm, that's, that's not a John Sokup, but I'm definitely going to, I'm definitely going to put my effort in and, uh, I'm going to go throw some punches under that. I think you need to give yourself a little bit more credit because I think there's, if there's one thing since you've made a name for yourself in this industry is that you've been pretty damn consistent. So I, I think, I think you'll be okay. Give yourself a little bit more pat in the back. Like, <laughs> you can start as well. Like, it's, yeah. it's not brush over the start to the opens. Yeah. I think uh, the start is like the hardest part for everybody. Cause it's usually in Florida and that's usually what tanks, for a lot of folks and you already got the hot start. So it's like, I mean, just keep the momentum going. You'll be all right. Yeah. That's the deal. The momentum. It's definitely, uh, you know, I, I finished last year. I jumped into the last open of the year on central was on grand granted. I'm familiar with grand a little bit, but I wasn't fishing that well at the end of the year. I didn't, I was, I was catching cash and checks, but it was like last place check and things like that. And I was like, I got to figure out, you know, I got to break, break the mold. So, I actually jumped into that thing with like just like a days of practice, went out there and like rode around and looked and that way I had to kind of fish more off my instincts and not and it worked out really well. I you know, I was leading after day two, I ended up fourth place. And so this is, you know, two top tens in the opens back to back. Of course, different years, so it doesn't count the same. But uh all it does is fuel the fire, man. Like you win a tournament, all you want to do is win again. You win two, all you want to do is win two more. It's like mm-hmm. uh it just fuels the fire. So I'm, I'm definitely lit right now and uh, I'm ready to, I'm ready to compete for sure. Yeah. Well, dude, and talking about that start, uh, one thing that, that Deacon and I do is when we're watching stuff, we, we like to observe electronics and we know obviously you are an electronics guru. So a lot of things that Deacon and I will send each other stuff and call out, whether it's Instagram posts or YouTube videos, what have you, and we'll, we'll chat about it. One of the things that we had noticed is, you know, the norm for a lot of guys that like to are be you know, electronic savvy now are three screens up front. But it looks like you just have one big old screen up there. And we were chatting mm-hmm. about it a little bit this morning. Is mm-hmm. is that just straight up running live scope or like what what are you running up there? What's your system? So uh yeah, to take a step back from it, I don't like multiple screens up front. Um I'm a big guy. Uh I do a lot of on the water training, or I used to do a lot more on the water training than I have time for now. And so, you know, shoulder to shoulder with people, um, it, it creates chaos up there. I love how the force has gone away from the non-cable driven, you know, so I don't have the cables up there for that. And I'm also at heart, I mean, I'm an Okie, guys. I mean, what Okie do you not know that doesn't want to, like, dive into the willows at any moment in time <laughs> for a random reason? Like, oh, there's, there's this much water. Let's go. Like, you know, and so, you know, too much stuff up there gets in the way. You know, there's a lot of times um so that's that's why i have so i do fish with an eight, a 16 inch screen i run an 8616 xsv and uh, i build combos where i split screen 
typically the top two thirds, just straight across his live scope, the bottom left will be mapping and the bottom right will be uh, 2D sonar um, running with my A scope running. Um, and then it's just a touch of a button real quick if I want to expand into one of those, one of those fully. So if I'm settled in an area and I know I'm going to be there for a while and I want a live scope, I'll just touch of a button and it's full 16 inch screen. And if I want to see the map real quick, it's another touch and boom, my mapping is right there. can run at the same time. So um, I found that I don't need mapping as much if you know how to live scope. You know, not, it's not like we used to where we had to triangulate and set waypoints and one waypoint was where you parked the boat and another one was where you cast to. And, you know, I, you know, you had four different sets of rows of, you know, to just mark off a point, you know, so you knew how the point was shaped out. I, I just don't need that many waypoints anymore. So. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm imagining that's something that can also be flexible in terms of practice or tournament days where you might have more going on during practice to get familiar with an area, but tournament day when you've already gotten familiar with your surroundings that might just go straight live scope. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think you guys spend too much time on the trolling motor in practice. So, you know, my answer there is everything that you're probably thinking about in your mind that guys are using on the front, they need to be back at the console doing um, for the most part. I mean, not, you know, that's not a 100% statement, but for the most part. And so I do, I have gone to a two console, uh, two unit console, two twelves at the console. I used to only have one. Uh, as I started in the MPFL, really, it went to just going to two for a backup in case one, you know, had some kind of issue of some kind. And as I had two up there, I found pretty quickly that I liked running two different appearances at the same time because under certain situations, one appearance will actually may show structure better and one appearance may show fish better. Um, and so uh, when you don't have that much time in practice and you're scanning through an area that you're, you're raw, you don't know, you don't want to miss anything because you're probably not going to spin around and look at it again unless you see something. And there's lots of times, man, I'll glance down. And all of a sudden I'll see, I'll be staring at one appearance for forever and I'll look over and I'm like, Whoa, there's, you know, I just noticed something, something different there. So I like doing that when I'm, when I'm graphing. And, and when you say appearances, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking like, say you're side scanning, you've got both units side scanning and one is going to be on a different transducer to give you a different picture or maybe a different color palette or what do you, what do you, uh, I'm talking about, I'm talking color palettes when I talk about appearance in the Garmin world, it's color, you know, your color palettes. So mm -hmm. That's that's uh that's how your your appearance is is where you find your color palettes. Yeah, color palettes is what I'm talking about. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's something that Deacon and I have talked to. We've had guests on as well that we we talk about that. Is that you know people rave about this forward facing technology and there's the the obviously the crowd out there that's like anti forward facing, but R people, really, yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> but there's definitely there's people that will just go and that buy stuff and assume that just because they buy it and they put it on their boat that automatically makes them better but the truth yeah. of the matter is, is that you're spending 90 percent of that time like you just mentioned in the driver's seat to therefore make that forward-facing sonar effective yeah and then the other part about it that's the most important part which like someone like johnny schultz in fish the moment does better than anybody out there in discussion is you have to understand fish behavior or none of it matters. Like uh, a lot of times when guys, I am doing a training on a live scope or something, you know, talking forward shooting sonar, whatever it is, whether it's live scope, active target or mega live, it's the same, uh, it's the same returns you're going to see. Um, you have to understand fish behavior. I mean, you can have 10 different species of fish swimming in the same screen 
And, you know, certain fish behave a certain way. And, you know, I got the 90% rule, I say. 90% of the time, certain fish behave certain ways. And so it, it helps you understand uh, not only if you're seeing fish, but what actually that translates into what the fish are doing. Like, that's the next thing is I can, I can find fish all, all day long. We all can find fish. So you got to figure out how to catch them, right? But more importantly, going from practice on a lake that you've never been to in three days, breaking it down, and then tournament day, um, it really doesn't matter what you catch in practice at all. Like it's winning practice is, you know, futile. Like you have to understand where these fish are going and what they're planning on doing. And that's where fish behavior comes in, comes into play. So you can be good on your electronics as far as some, I mean, I'm going to tell you guys, you can line up a hundred anglers that are better than me at understanding all their settings and stuff and go through. I, I really don't care about all that. I only care about what it helps me catch more fish. So like, we talk certain settings. I'm like, ah, that doesn't matter because it doesn't matter. Like, well, guys will think it matters, but like, show me where you caught fish with it. Like, that's that's where I'm at, you know. So I'm, I kind of dumb it down and just try to use it. And, and a part of being able to do that, like I said, to kind of back to my my last point was was understanding fish behavior because the only way you actually win a tournament is you get in front of those fish. You figure out mm-hmm. most of the time. I would say 80% of wins, guys. That guy has tuned in to, to what the fish are doing. It's very rare they're like, I don't know why they're doing this, but they're doing it. It's it ha- it does happen, of course, but mm-hmm. most of the time, that guy is tuned into something that no one else has, and it's right under everybody's fingertips. It's right there. They but mm-hmm. so that's fish behavior for you. And and he and he's generally like, especially like this time of the year, right? Like he's in a position where those fish are coming to him. It, whether it's whether it's a pre-spawn deal or a post-spawn deal, he's ahead of them, like you said, and he understands the migration route, what those fish are exactly doing. And I think that's spot on because I think so many times, so many people beat their heads in on like, how did I not find this? Uh, it was right right in front of me and, and all these guys have blown over this, but it's simply the fact that they weren't looking at it in the big picture of, hey, this is what's going on. Yeah, yeah. you get back to the, to the way and you realize what he was doing, you're like, Damn it, that's what I was doing. Why wasn't that clicking? But it's just that one thing that it's they figured out over you. Yeah. It can be a hundred different things. It could be a shade line or a sunny spot or a log or a diameter of a log or I mean it could be all sorts of odd little oddities that but it is what it I mean, once you get on that pattern and roll with it, and here's the next day we're fishing multi day tournaments, doesn't mean it'll be the same thing the next day. I mean you got a starting point, but then when it's not working, like, okay, how did it how did those fish adjust and why did this thing happen? We all talk, you know, everybody kind of knows about the blueback herring and how the fish will adjust and run like crazy to blueback herring. Well, I feel like that's the way it is everywhere. It's just not fishing on herring. They're either fishing on bluegill or they're fishing on crawd or they're eating on crawdads or they're eating on shad or they're eating on threadfin or gizzards or, you know, you know, and that's, that dictates fish's behavior besides during the spawn more than, I mean, that's it. That's what dictates their behavior outside of the spawn, you know, 90% of the year. So, yeah. yeah. Kind of adding on top of the fishing behavior deal, you hear, you hear a lot of guys talk about that they'll chase fish down with forward facing. They'll chase them for a while. I mean, is there a point where you just kind of be like, you give up on a certain fish where you can tell that obviously it's a, a bigger caliber fish and you want them in the box, but so you'll chase them for a little bit. But is there a time when you like will give up on trying to chase a certain group yeah i mean i think you just compare it to sight fishing bed fishing it depends on how much time you got in the day how many fish you have found you know how rare it is to come across the fish you know there's definitely times when i'm around enough fish that 
I watch a fish's behavior and I said, nah, he's not worth spending the time on, you know? Um, and you kind of get that sense a lot more throughout the day and through practice with how they react to your lures, um, whether it's, whether it's really worth it or not. And certain fish, um, will spook from you. Um, but they don't spook in a way that makes you feel like they know you're there. Um, and those fish are harder to trigger as well. So like a big fish may not even run from you. He's just still going to sit there, but he's, he's just going to kind of let air out and kind of go down the bottom or so, something of that nature. He'll behave a little bit differently. So it's, it's extremely important with live sonar that you get your orientation, your casting ability down. Um, it's extremely important because those bigger fish, uh, for the most part, you got about on average, you got about three casts in them before they really notice that something's going on. And so if you can get on them in the first second cast, you got a lot better chance of catching that fish than if you get in a situation where you got to chase them for three, 400 yards, even though just, I say this just two days ago, three, like last Thursday, Friday, I took Saturday, I took a guy out, which is a few days ago. And I chased a fish for, for a long time. And I am catching it. it was like, a, you know, six or seven pounder, six pounder or something like that. So like, you know, we, we do it. I mean, I do it. Um, it's those decisions. Like I said, if you can, are usually made just kind of like, like bed fishing. Right. How many, how many casts did you make to that fish? You think over that time period? Oh, he, he followed my lure out of a tree and then he, he noticed me and he went, he went about 300 yards, at least 200 yards, at least through some timber and stuff. And I probably, I probably spent 20 minutes casting to him. So how many ever casts you can make wow. in 20 minutes of time? You know. Okay. <laughs> that's a yeah. long long time man yeah. how, how uh when you say these fish are noticing you um and, and i've noticed it too running live scope where i'll have a fish that i think is is noticing me and, and in colorado it's a lot of clear water and sometimes i feel like especially like throwing like a jerk bait right getting one real close to the boat they see the boat how much of these fish do you feel like are feeling that forward facing, I know in the crappie world, like that's been talked about a lot, but I think it's, I think people are starting to talk about the bass fishing world, but do you, do you feel that those fish are feeling that pressure? Uh, I know that they can feel it, whether they understand what's going on or not. It's another thing. And the reason that I know they can feel it is because I mean, in the crappie world, you know, when I fished the crappie tours and stuff, like there were some lakes, sometimes you'd scan and that thing would hit the fish and they just boom. I mean, wow. obviously spooked the same as if you hit a trolling motor and they would spook, you know? That same, that same thing. So, um, but I haven't seen them respond the same way. Um, I think it's a rare day, maybe a super high pressure day. They're already kind of turned off they're already turned off. And you know, those days where they're coming to look at it and they're more curious and then they realize that there's a predator around. And so, but I will say distance is a very, you know, it's always been important. You've heard from back before the sonar days, guys talking about, you know, long casts are important for catching big fish. Right. I mean, maybe not necessarily numbers, but when we're talking big fish, they were like long cats and quiet, you know, quiet presentation and all that. And it's, it's true, man. I, I'm just more and more and more. I'm a firm believer that the bigger a fish gets, the more that fish feeds by sight, the less he feeds by uh, his lateral lines, the less he feeds by things that kind of are easy to trick. And so they're really a lot more tuned in to sight and, and, and a lot more to sound. And so, if something doesn't feel right, they bail, you know, and for the most part, you know, they feed differently too. They're, they're not as a whole, they're not the aggressive eaters that we, um, that the smaller fish are, you know, I think a, a smaller fish, 
Um, one, he's, you know, you know, young and naive, but two, he's growing, you know, like he's he's competing, he's growing, but also I think they got to use their body weight, um, to kill. So when they attack, they full mouth uh, open and then they push through with their body weight to kill. Sure. So they get it in their mouth and a big fish, you know, they do a lot of this coming up on it and, you know, getting vertical on it. And then they just, I think they, they just flare their gills. They go, like that and they'll and they'll suck and they'll suck it in and a lot of times when they're not they're not serious about it they just do a little suck and they want to want to see how that reacts they're like almost like poof on it but in reverse and so that's why you see a lot of the big fish getting hooked you know outside the face and stuff like that is you know obviously we got the rare occasions that everything i'm saying is wrong you know an a rig will a lot of times trigger but but you know for the most part a lot of big fish get caught and they're just the, the they're more finicky on on the way they feed I agree. I mean, I mean, look at it in two aspects. I think of offhand, right. Or like frogging. I mean, how many times do you have a giant just absolutely just suck it in slowly compared to like a two pounder knocking the absolute, (laughs) you know, and it's the same jerking dude. How many times you throw a jerk bait and one just way and you're like, Oh my. And it's like a 18, like eight incher, like not even 12 inches. I caught, I caught, I had an, I caught an eight pounder one time on a frog, eight and a half, almost nine. And it was early, early year. The grass was still brown. It wasn't even green yet. And me and my boy were out in the lake, and I threw this frog out there, and I kind of looked away, and I heard, I mean, I heard, boom. And I looked, and this thing, it was like this swell about this big that just, like this deep just went, it just sucked down the whole thing. And I I mean, I just set the hook on the noise, right? And And I looked back on that thing, and I'm like, that was an awesome bite. But that fish, he did not attack it like the two pounder that would just jump out of the water. He literally came up underneath it and just sucked all the water down. Like oh, he just literally. opened his mouth yeah. and just, as strong as he could, just he just flushed the water into him. Oh, and I think that's what happens a lot of times is those big ones they come up and they just take a section of it of water down in their mouth, <laughs> and and the frog and they don't get the frog to their mouth. Like because we're also a lot of times like we just set the hook and it's not even quite in their throat yet. You know, uh-huh. we just pull it out of their mouth. But, yeah, yeah. Especially with those big ones, it's like an elevator, dude. It's just like. Whatever that prey is, it's just like, <laughs> all right, here, boom. <laughs> it's just everything yeah. drops. The floor falls yeah. out. Yeah. Did you guys Man. see that uh, post from Justin Lucas? I think it was today where he uh-huh. skipped um, the Berkeley spin rocket. Mm-hmm. He, this is impressive already. He, he skipped a topwater prop bait under a dock. Uh, and you hear one, two twitch, and all you hear is that, that sound we all craved. It's like it's super loud it was it's freaking awesome you guys have to go look at it after this but this is exactly what we're trying to to get across here but it's that is wicked so something actually kind of interesting that i wanted to ask ask you about that we saw and we talked with luke palmer about um are you are we allowed to talk about hartwell i probably should have asked that before we get into it uh i i mean i i I can't solicit information but we 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 can talk about it it'll be public I just can't ask for I can't ask for information, guys. So, right. you know, okay. if we're talking about if you're just talking about the classic, I'm we can yeah, talk about the classic. Public, we're talking yeah. classic. All right, yeah. just want to make sure I don't want to get you in any trouble. Right. Uh, they were talking about using uh, forward-facing sonar under docks now. <coughs> everyone attributed dock fishing is you know is relatively simple in how to approach a dock, but now you have this forward-facing sonar in these deeper docks to be able to see. One, if fish are under there, and two, you can see if they're really tied up to the dock to be able to see, you know, obviously chase your bait from under it, and it kind of gets you an idea of what they're doing. 
how many more of these different, you know, like, so, so dock fishing seems relatively straightforward to a lot of people. And now we see guys using it for bed fishing, you know, like where, where else do we see this forward facing sonar being used in places where we never thought it would be used everywhere. I think there's, there's a few of us that know things that other people don't know yet and it'll catch on and everywhere. I mean, think of a scenario and I will tell you how it's used. I mean, it's used right. everywhere and, um, that, th- there's been guys for years take 2D sonar and kick it at an angle and shoot it out in front of underneath docks and stuff like that. It's not. It's it's just now that we got. It's so much easier for the average guy to read it and understand what they're looking at. Um, but there's not a scenario, guys, under the water that you can think of that I can't say that 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 you can't somehow use it. It may not be the best tool for that situation, but um, yeah. If you don't, if you don't, I will tell you this, if you don't feel like it's like you can use it in that scenario, like you just write it off, you're going to get beat. But I mean, and there's a lot of pros that are that way. There's a lot of just guys that way that have it on their boat that, that think that they can't use it in certain situations. And I mean, we're wrong. I mean, you can, I mean, take, take Scott Martin and the elites. You watch him using his live scope in the, in the reeds, flipping in the reeds. I mean, you can, you can use it. Like I said, it may not be the best, uh, um, most efficient tool at all, at all times. Sometimes you can get caught looking at it too much when you should just be covering water or whatnot. But, um, but for the most part, it can be used everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's super intriguing where people just kind of attribute to these, you know, when it came out, it was more just suspended fish and it's cool to watch, especially this year. There was a couple just completely open a can of worms in terms of how you can use this thing. Um, in ways that people thought, you know, hey, when I'm up in this shallow water, I'm not going to need this, whereas it could be extremely advantageous. And one thing I thought was really unique that Deacon had brought up that he found out was people rigging it to their, um, oh gosh, their their jack plates for when they're graphing. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. that was very interesting. <laughs> and I, by the look on your face, I think we're open the can of worms here. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, and I, I don't know. I've, I've done it. My boat now has got numbers at the console, and then I still have last up on the front. But what I had done when I had two Garmin's, um, I would even just lock my Ultrex to one side and just uh, go down a line of docks and see which docks I brush on. I mean, you can do that with side scan. And I think what that what forward facing sonar has done for me is I'm, I'm the same way. Sean in the aspect of like, I really like fishing shallow just as much, uh, now as I like fishing deep, but it has made me make that adjustment to fishing deep. But what it's done now is said, okay, like you said, I think so many guys spend way too much time in practice with their trolling motor down. And that was for sure. Even me with live scope, because it allowed me to, uh, really gain confidence in, in seeing something. But now I've taken that back and said, okay, wait, now what can I do with my console to where I can build more confidence of saying, hey, look, this is the kind of brush piles I'm looking for. This is what I'm looking for. Like it has made me go in reverse almost and made me better offshore because the confidence of running that. But it, it is interesting to Bailey's point, seeing guys, I think as you're going to see more and more can of worms, like you're saying with all these different ways guys are using it. It might not be public now, but it's going to be. Um, it's interesting to see how some guys are mounting it off the back. And I mean, that's been a thing for a couple of guys. I've definitely noticed. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a thing. 
um, guys dropping them on poles and using them how they want on poles. You know, three three years ago, you know, the crappie guys, when we we're practicing and stuff like that, they drop their trolling motor down and they sit back with the remote and idle okay. and move the trolling motor however they want, left, right, you know, and, you know, and then they can actually stay back from that brush pile or whatever. Looking, You know, a lot of times they're looking for brush or they're looking for, um, you know, some kind of crappie pile of some kind. But That's pretty crazy. I just, when you think that it's all been done, I think that's the coolest part is just someone that has that creative, you know, that, that imagination to really say, Hey, why don't we just try this? And then boom, and then there's something. And then it's always the process of trying to keep it as hidden as you can <laughs> for as long as possible, <laughs> which in today's age, yeah, I feel man. like the window's getting shorter and shorter to keep. Yeah. Straight. Everybody gets the same idea. Too many guys thinking the same way, you know, no people doubt. come up with the same, the same different idea. So it, it, it comes back to what we talked about originally was understanding fish behavior because as everybody else gets better and better at live scope, it's, it's really those that understand fish behavior that they come up on top. And that's why, you know, the best fishermen always seem to win, whether it's technology based or non-technology based. So. Right. So forward facing aside, say you take it off your boat and you're going to go fun fishing. What do you, yeah, what we do, you do that go, a lot? Yeah. What are you going to go do? Like what's... I'm, I'm going to frog frog. Heck yeah. Yeah. I'm going to frog. I'm going to take the aluminum boat and I'm going to take the express. I'm going to put it up. In six inches of water, I'm going to try to get it stuck, and I'm going to throw back as far back as I can in shallow stuff. And you know, that's I just I grew up fishing creeks and ponds, and not. I mean, I didn't have a boat growing up, you know, so it was all belly boating, especially this time of year, man. Running creeks, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna tear up some props. I'm gonna put myself in places that other boats are afraid to go or can't can't make it into, and uh, and that's how I'm gonna fish, and that's how I, you know, did did really well before you know getting into you know, sonar. I'm a, I'm a top water guy. I love to throw frogs. I love to throw spooks. I qualified for the Portsmouth Cup throwing a spook. Um, I'm, you know, I will throw a spook year round. I've caught them anywhere from, you know, I think maybe February, maybe the only month I haven't caught a fish on a spook at the moment. I haven't had to think back, but I think I've caught them in every single month, you know, year round. So I, think I love throwing spooks. I, I think, uh, I think something, John, watching you, with uh the mpfl too, um tune into all the live coverage there as far as in florida like i think a lot of people think like oh man the bass tank and this guy and live scope pioneer and it's it's absolutely true as far as your ability with live scope but a lot of people uh in my opinion don't necessarily see how well-rounded you are and like you're you're an oklahoma man you're 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 a shallow guy by heart like that's if 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 that's a way to win like you're just as deadly like it's just that's how it is yeah, it's kind of fun, man. I, I, it, it got frustrating for half a second, and Pangrat called me, and he was like, hey, man, you need to run with this thing. Everybody thinks he's like, believe me, he's like, D Dean Rojas can do more than throwing a frog, but he's, you know, he's That's grabbed right. onto that to make him, you know, to brand him and, you know, make money in the industry and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it's it for half a second, it frustrated me, and then I ran with it. And, I mean, it plays to my advantage. Like, if I catch a fish and I come away in, and people are like, oh, you, you're looking at live scoops? So, like, you know, when it's I was leave, I was throwing a buzz bait and flipping docks on, uh, on Grand, and I was leading after day two. And you know, they did an interview, and I, you know, I made the comment. I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my live scope all day long. 
which is true. I mean, it was on all day long. It's true. And I, and I glanced I'm at that, it, but everybody thinks I'm off, you know, shore chasing down, chasing the fish and hitting them on the head because you know we do all the videos of it and show that, and that's that's fun, and we train on that and stuff like that. But no, I mean, not that I didn't use live scope to help me understand the environment where the fish are at, which I did. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, I was fishing, you know, that deep and and burning rubber just like like we do covering water, you know, trying to wear the prop off my trolling motor, my battery's out. That's, yeah, you know, so. Yeah, that was one of the coolest things, um, really diving into the forward-facing stuff that uh, when, when Mega Live finally came out, I got the chance to talk with Seth Fighter on how he was adjusting to it because he was a guy, I mean, his AOI, when he was talking about it, was just, he just went fishing. He didn't think about it too much, just fish his confidence. Uh, but he's, he noticed a way that it helped him not just obviously catch fish or locate fish, but understand exactly what you're saying, what's going on around you. I think he was, it was Champlain where he had mentioned he was catching smallmouth in 20 foot of water under sailboats. And he was uh, mentioning that in that area, he was catching them drop shotting in practice. But when he went there, he wasn't catching any on a drop shot. And it was because he looked on Mega Live, they're all suspended under sailboats. And that got him to realize, okay, they're on top, they're not on bottom. It was kind of a cool deal where it's like you're more using that tool to be more efficient than you are. What a lot of people attribute it to is just finding fit and catching fish. If that yeah. Sense. Yeah. I'm going to tell you guys 90% of the time I'm just learning. I'm learning the fish behavior in the environment. That's it. Like you get in the boat. I went on a training thing this like last Saturday with a guy, a gentleman came down, we took his boat out, made sure everything was working right. We got in the water, we put the troll motor down. We're looking, you know, doing the potential double digit thing offshore. And I'm like, dude, it ain't happening. Like there ain't no bait. There's no bait. These fish are stuck to the bottom. We've had a cold front. They're going to be on the bottom. Um, we gotta, we gotta make some adjustments. We, we did come across fish with those adjustments. The fish was super skittish and super scared. And you know, it was very difficult to get them to bite, but we could because in the first 30 minutes of time, we broke all the environment down to the lake and, you know, knew how to adjust from there. Um, and it wasn't guessing. We knew, you know, I was, you know, I knew the next step to, to adjust based off of what I saw. And so if I hadn't had that, uh, the live scope running the Ford shooting sonar and the experience to evaluate, I could still been out there chunking and whining an A-rig over 30 foot of water and just thinking, oh, I need to go to the windy side. Oh, I need to go to the calm side. Oh, I need to go to the trees. Oh, I need to go to the dam and just, you know, I might spend four hours running around with that A-rig in my hand and, and then maybe even caught one and then it would have been worse because then I'd, you know, and that's not what I needed to do that day. I needed to do something different. So, right. That's a good point. Just a time saver, man. It makes everything more efficient. It's like right. you go to an area and you, you put your trolling motor down and like it's, and the day before there was crappie and there was bait and there's all this stuff and it was going down. And I've been here for 15, 20 minutes now. It doesn't look right. I'm out. Like I'm going to go find them somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I told, I told this story before and I don't know if I told it with you guys last time, but um, you know, three or four years ago when LiveScope first came out, uh, the first fall that we had it, I was fishing a bass nation in Oklahoma and it was on Eufaula, Oklahoma. And in the fall, it's known for, you know, whopper plopper, buzz bait, chatter bait, square bill, running rock. Okay. And so, um, which is an amazingly fun bite. Well, the way that the, um, the bass nations are set up, you practice one day, it's off limits for a week. You practice on Saturday and you fish Sunday. So you have to find fish fast. You got to cover a lot of water. You got to know how to find and locate fish quickly. And so Saturday I went down the stretch. It was known for having fish. 
I put my trolling motor down, and all I saw was this right here. And that's that. Just everywhere I went, it's just the bait rolling. The bait were rolling all everywhere, all, all depths, all the way through this little pocket. And I mean, it was whoosh, 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 bite after bite after bite. And I'm shaking them off. Been there for about 30 minutes. I'm like, okay, I know where I'm starting them off. Sure. So sun, Sunday tournament day comes around. I got my calling on the boat. We fly to that spot. We're there. We're the only ones there. I'm like, oh yeah, we're you know, put the trolling motor down in the water. I hadn't even make a catch yet, and I'm like, we're gonna have to find somewhere else to go. He's like, what? I'm like, we're gonna give it 15 minutes, man. It was pitch black. As if, like, we were on the moon. No life anywhere. And I caught, like, a couple 12-inch spots. I was like, yeah, we got to go. And so we troll a motor on high the rest of the day. And towards the end of the day, probably around that 1 or 2 o'clock period, I finally stumbled in an area I'd never fished before. And all of a sudden, I saw it. Whoosh, whoosh. The bait was just rolling. And then guess what? Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and so as soon as I saw it, I knew, boom, put the brakes on, cover this area tight. And then, you know, I mean, I I don't think I won, but I definitely got like two, second or third in that tournament. And it, once again, it was because understanding the environment and what I'm seeing. It's the same thing as one day you're catching them when the birds are on the bank. The next day you come back there, the birds are gone. There's no bites. And then they're, the birds are over on a bank that is ugly and you never see. And you're like, oh, I'm not going to go fish that. And you find out some guy came across and caught him, you know, chasing the birds. Like, yeah, like the birds are there for a reason. So it's mm-hmm. the same, it's the same concept. That same intuition that you need to have. Because there's some guys I think that rely too heavy on electronics to just find them fish and not actually using their their visual cue, uh, cues and what kind of Mother Nature is trying to show you, and that's that's extremely important, obviously. But I think that there's a it's a huge strength to have as an angler to be able to leave your confidence areas that you found in practice and to go be able to fish something completely new on tournament. Oh, you got you got to you got to break up yeah you got to break up fast in the fishing world. Mm-hmm. You know, you break can't, you can't fast. mess or break up fast. <laughs> I like don't that. fall, don't fall in love too quick. Cause it's going to change. <laughs> I mean, hitched. yeah, we very rarely, you know, maybe on some local stuff where you fished a lake for 20 years or 10 years or every day, you might know that one log that they always sit on. You know what I mean? But for the most part, it's just, it's just not that way in the fishing world. And especially when you're fishing these big, opens with 225 boats and the guys have a full month in advance that they're out there hammering every fish like that stump gets found believe me like 150 of the guys found it and you know 10 guys caught a fish on it and they all caught one and left well that obvious stump they all caught one on and left and that ain't gonna do you in a three-day tournament you know yeah i, I was telling deacon about this last year the uh, oneida bass open and uh, I was talking to Pangrak about the same thing because he experienced it. Is all those guys that were there for three weeks were like, dude, this place is sick. We're catching 20 pounds in practice. And then the week leading up to it, everyone's like, this place sucks. There's no fish. Well, it's because you've been hammering. It's not a big lake. You've been destroying it the whole time. Yeah. It's got to suck. Yeah. That's it's like, it's like, it's like, uh, finding the, the cheerleaders in high school and you go around and you're rude to nine of them. And there's only one left. You haven't been rude to like, <laughs> how come I can't get a date? Well, you were rude to nine of them. Like there's not a hundred cheerleaders, man. There's only 10 of them. There's yeah, 10. You, know? you got 10 <laughs> shots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You screwed up nine of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's good. Quick, uh, quick side note. Uh, did you, uh, see, did you watch any of the tackle house pro circuit on the Harris chain? Sean Goodwin. Oh, bro. I'm so proud of Sean. Like that was awesome. Yeah, it's like I don't know if you guys know this or not, but it's actually a prerequisite to get a part of the Bass Tank to actually get it on live anymore. You have to be 
associated <laughs> with the bass tank. Like it makes it look like we got a thousand pros out there, and we don't have any more than than the average other company. It's just our guys are catching them, man. And uh, yeah. if there's something about being a part of a team of guys that like you feed off of each other, man, like no doubt. and, and uh, not only Sean, but actually Mark's a part of us too. So we had two guys in the top 10, oh, but of course, Sean's like all day long in the lead, the bass tank wrap across the boat. He's Kinda got covers. the old school, like blue bass tank hat too. I got to send him a new one. Like uh, <laughs> he did, he did such a good job. I don't know if people understand how good a fisherman he is. Like he's, they talked, he's won the all American. Like they were like, Oh, he's won some BFLs. I'm like, yeah, he's won more than some <laughs> BFLs. Won the all American. <laughs> yeah. Like wow. he's, he's one of those Oklahoma dominant guys. Uh, Chris Jones comes out of that same group of people. Jason Christie comes out of that same group of people. Like they've been competing forever. And, and Sean's won. I mean, look him up on FLWs. I mean, he's, he's got a pedigree of wins, you know what I mean? And top tens and, and money one. And this is his first year to decide to fish pro. Everybody knew he could be touring forever. Uh, he's got a very good job. He's been extremely responsible in that. And uh, so, you know, it is awesome. The first event he kind of, in his mind, didn't do as well as he should. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is, this is the Sean we know. So this is awesome. It looks like he struggled trying to figure out how to net his own fish, though. Where Dude, that? that was that was the same with Loberg, man. I, I'm yeah. buddy on the West Coast, Loberg, man. Just uh, same yeah. deal. It's hilarious watching him. He's just like he, he was talking to himself about it too. He's like, "Oh my gosh, like that was yeah, terrible." I'm gonna tell you the worst feeling in the world. This is it right here. Okay, you guys got this. It's this. Uh, uh. <laughs> like every time you reach it with a net, you lean your rod in, and the fish is like the same distance away. It's yeah, a, I don't see saw. <laughs> yeah. I've actually, you know, since, you know, 2000, I guess it was 2020, the beginning of the year, the February, which was, that was uh, the Gunnersville uh, classic. When, when I got announced that I was going to fish the NPFL, when I got the, like the acceptance and they announced, so I quit, I quit bringing a net with me everywhere I went. So <clears throat> I've only, uh, every time I'm practicing, even if I'm out in the round double digits, which yes, it's caused me to lose a couple fish, um, potentially. I don't know, but uh, but I I've learned to practice without a net. You know, you can't use a net in the opens either. So um, no, I think I fished one tournament where I used a net and uh, netted a couple giants with with it. But for the most part, I did yell at a coangler on Grand. <laughs> I forgot about that. I had a big. I had a six pounder pin. Yeah. Uh, underneath the dock with a jig and i'm like hey man can you come help me uh grab this fish real quick and he's just i look back and he's looking at me and i'm like hey man you mind coming and help me land this fish real quick i think it's a big one you know his mouth is like this like, ah, like all pinned <laughs> in this layer. and he's still just looking at me all like you know like i'm like drop what you're doing run to the front of the boat and grab the fish as hard as you can in the mouth he's like oh oh he comes up and helps me pull and we grab the fish i was like dude i'm sorry he's like i don't know i i was just excited and i wasn't i wasn't hearing you and i was like i know just shell so yeah stage fright he's like what? dude yeah. that's that is awesome. I love stories like that, man. Um, I fished the Rayburn Open as a co a couple of years ago, 
And uh, my my guy was a, is a local local hammer on Rayburn, and he was super good dude. He's like, dude, I am I'm flipping, and if I were you, like I would just go a little bit further back than I am because I'm going to be on this edge. I'm going to be efficient, like, but you're going to get your shots if you make your pitches just into that hay grass a little farther back. And I'm like, man, I trust this guy. Like he's he's being real with me too. He's being legit. And of course, like I pinned one that's like a seven and a half way back. And like, and he's coming and he's coming and he's coming. And this dude drops everything. I mean, everything and jumps on the deck, grabs the fish for me. We're high five. And I was like, man, that dude was just awesome. Cause same deal. His mouth was just, whoa, 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 whoa. and it was kind of stuck on some grass and he just grabbed it. And I was like, <laughs> bear hug. I got one co-angler story. It was the last tournament I think I remember ever fishing as a co-angler. It might not have been my last, but it's the last one I remember. And the fastest person I've ever had ever get to my fish with a net was Rick Klun. I drew Rick Klun, and we both were blanking. At the very end of the day, I hook one, and he sees it at the corner eye. And before I could even yell net, like, I'm cranking this thing in ready to boat flip it. And he dives back there and grabs the net and scoops it up and <laughs> gives me a high five and stuff. It, and, and, dude, I mean, like – I tell you to this day, like I'm, well, I don't use, we don't use nets anymore, but I'm, I can't beat the net that fast. It was pretty awesome. Dude, what is up with the old guy? Like, man, I don't know if you guys saw Mark Rose on the coverage too. That fish oh, that yeah. came off and he caught, I mean, dude, that was like, he dropped to the deck and got, I was like, that does not happen. That was crazy, <laughs> dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, there's always the stories though that are intriguing of like the co-angler, like stabbing your fish with the net and like making it pop off and like, Dude, that's got to be the most awkward situation for the rest of the day, especially if that fish really, really mattered. <laughs> it's got to be extremely awkward. Yeah, we got a couple of those conversations. Oh boy! Then it, everything we all got a couple of those. Yeah. So you know what? I'll just yeah. I'll just net my own fish for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. I'll touch the net. I, I'll be all right. Yeah. You know what? I will say on at like at least on the codes that I've drawn ever like most of them have been pretty solid. Like there's, there's very few that like, and it may be just a beginner or he just doesn't quite understand what's going on the net, but like the vast majority of guys, I feel like, uh, do a pretty good job. Yeah. So I spent, I grew up netting fish like pretty professionally. We had a koi farm. I drowned <laughs> in a koi pond when I was two years old. Like I, my first word was fish. We raised koi and we didn't have the money to buy the high end fancy koi. So we just bred them and raised them ourselves. And then it ended up becoming a business. We had mud bottom ponds and the whole process. And so when you're netting, you know, $1,000, $10,000 fish, like you can't knock off scales. You got, so, you know, yeah. there's certain ways to approach fish. And so if I wasn't netting with a real net, then I was, you know, hand netting them and stuff like that. So uh, there is definitely some like netting. There's no netting videos. Like there's some techniques. Like the number one thing that's the worst thing to do is the jab. Like that is the worst thing to do. <laughs> The fish's eyes are on the top of the head. Their first reaction is to dive down when they're when they're nervous. So you always come up from head first and from the belly. You don't chase from the tail because you're never going to catch them. You're not going to be able to have enough drag. So you can't you can't dive fast. If you dive, if you dive down on its head, you're going right at its eyes. So the first thing it's going to do is go and you're just going to hit the fish. So you got to you know what I usually tell my co-angers if they're not comfortable. I'm like, just lay the net down the side of the boat and lift it up. When I tell you to lift up, just lift up. And so I'll bring that fish over and they'll be that will be right there and I'll say lift and they'll just, you know. And so that's that slow lift process is actually way more safe for actually not spooking the fish than it is actually taking that jab. That jab's the worst thing you can do. No jabbing. 
No jabbing. No jabbing. <laughs> T-shirt. Hashtag no jabbing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to yep. see some bass and I got, tank. I got uh, beaten my head by my dad, by the way. So, like, I, I can hear his voice. Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. He's already got the yeah. teaching process down. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be some bass tank co-angler netting classes. Going <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I had a quick question. We don't have to dive too deep into it because it's probably traumatic for a lot of people. But uh, that Cumberland event looked yeah, blackout. I don't remember that event. I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Quick <laughs> breakups. Oh man, you know that what? Crazy. I'm so frustrated with myself. I'm a better fisherman than that. Uh, but it did, it did get me. You know, it, it did get me. I never got around them. The ones I did find, I couldn't get them to bite. And then I just, I mean, I went, so we had about two days worth of practice before it really kind of got stormed on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just never got around the fish. And what I found, I mean, I know where my mistake was at. Um, and this is very common in, in bodies of water that's known to have a lot of fish. And when you can't see them on the graph and stuff like that is literally they're everywhere. You just, they're like tight to the bank. And you just got to, you know, you got to fish slower and, and keep the trolling motor down instead of trying to run here and there. You may have to taste test the fronts or the backs or whatever, but I just never, I just never got around them. I pulled one fish off early on day one. It may or may not have been a keeper. I don't, depend on what color it was, you know. Mm-hmm. And then after that, like literally I had two bites after that and they put them in the boat. And so other than that, man, I... I mean, I tried to, I tried to search for a lot of open water live scope fish for the entire day, and and towards the end of the day, I started seeing them, and I caught two of them, and I probably had like ten more in that area. Um, but they just weren't, they weren't ready yet. Like, give me thirty minutes to an hour more, and I could have caught two or three more fish, mm-hmm. but they just, um, you know, they weren't there. Yeah, I mean, it's. I know a, a lot of you guys like watching on social media, you know, chatting with like Keith Carson, like that. The basically, the practice you had was almost basically useless to a to a degree in terms of how much the water level changed and the conditions you guys were thrown at for those two days where you had to cancel tournament days. But uh, I mean, talk about a. I, I just thought it was crazy when we saw the results from weigh in of just how much of a big drop one and how much Taylor won by, but just. Yeah, what the weights were across the field that was insane yeah i mean taylor figured it out you know and, and not only figured out what to do he figured out where and i think he kind of already had an idea where going into that from some past experience which that's the biggest challenge to that place is when you only have not even really two days of practice and then the, and, and when we're not even talking about the fact that day one practice it was 22 degrees when we launched our boat so it's not like you're running around everywhere you're frozen. You're just trying to stay alive out there. And, you know, I, you know, so like that was the big challenge. The whole lake looks the same. So like to figure out the thousand pockets, which one they were in, um, you know, it was, was super difficult. Um, and then day two, it was decent practice. Day three, it poured down raining on us. So there's a lot of guys didn't even go out. Uh, I actually went crappie mm-hmm. fishing day three. I got tired and, <laughs> I did. I mean, I started <laughs> popping crappie with a, and, uh, and so, you know, I think, I don't think it was, I don't think it was useless. Like, I think that a couple things you could have done, like learning lessons that could have done differently. Um, 
knowing that we all knew it was going to rain. We all knew the lake was going to come up. I think that the guys that decided to really focus down lake on the vertical stuff, the extremely vertical stuff, like that's not going to change too much. And then they didn't, you know, the couple guys that caught them really good down there. Um, maybe the fish activity changed, but they were still in the same areas. And then, you know, playing the game that Taylor played, I think he knew, like I said, that area historically is known for um, after, you know, you find out after the fact that it's known for different falls and stuff, bringing, bringing the fish up. You possibly could have done some study in advance, figuring out, you know, what areas we're going to do that. That's easier said than done when you only have one day, though, because guys, like one creek runs clean and another one runs dirty, one runs swifter, one runs slower. And like those are things you don't know unless you have time to run around and look and look and look and look and look. So that was the that was the biggest challenge. A lot of guys, you know, they just and it was 25 degrees that morning, too. Like you don't don't have a lot of and then we had a delay, too, guys. We don't talk about that. It was only 10 minutes, but it was another delay. You know, like I didn't get you to know, launch my boat until nine ten, and like I'm watching, you know, so and so for since seven o'clock setting the hook out there, <laughs> like, yeah. um, you know, so it's just there's a lot to that that was, um, just an unfortunate, yeah. difficult, difficult event. Where's the uh, where's the next MPFL at? Hartwell. Hartwell, dude, it's gonna yep. be awesome. So I'm excited. Third, third week of April. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. What's uh? What do you obviously you got Cumberland next for the Bassmaster Open? But you know, looking to, looking ahead to this binge as we called it earlier mm-hmm. in the show that you're about to go on. Um, are you just taking it? I mean, I'm sure you're taking it, you know, event after event. But is there one that you're kind of might be a little bit more excited for than the rest? I mean, it's probably a hard no. <laughs> as far as one more, I'm excited more than the other. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not a little bit like. A little bit more jacked about something. Uh, listen, the truth is, I, I got so much going on in life that um, when we talk about studying ahead and preparation and stuff like that, I don't have that. I don't have that time to be able to do that. Like I, I do do some studying. Okay, there's some certain things that I will always do, but like right now, like all I've got around me is tackle. And today, I'm trying to get my, which I'm not going to get done. I'll have to do it tomorrow. I'm trying to get five weeks worth of four different tournaments because I'm not going to have my truck back home for five weeks. I'm trying to get it loaded and organized in a way that's efficient. So that like when I go from one event to the other, I know where that stuff's at. I know where, you know, I know how to get to it. So I try to simplify things in my mind. I'm going to go with a lot more of my confidence baits. So I don't have to like, you know, try to find the magic bait. It's just, they're all tools or whatnot, but the tools do change from field to field. So, um, to answer your question, another thing that I do is I'll study weights, tournament weights, so I get an idea of, you know, what I need to be finding and locating. That's extremely important to me. And I'll try to do a little bit of what I can of just historical, you know, historical areas. I don't – and that's a fallback plan. That's that's like fishing – that's like fishing retreads. You know what I mean? Like the fallback plan for retreads is you never found something, so, like, I'm going to fish in this area because I know there's a lot of fish been released here, right? So, like, historically, what areas are known to hold a lot of fish? Um, but then after that, I don't I do not do a lot of studying. Um, and, and here's what I found. I found that, you know, talking too much with buddies, studying too much will get you potentially a check. And I was very good at getting checks for a long time. 
And I found when I broke away from that mold, got myself uncomfortable, put myself in a position to be vulnerable to blank or to feel really bad, like at Cumberland almost, even though I got 44th at Cumberland, you know, but that's when I started winning. And I mean, winning a lot. And, and it's because you allow yourself to tune in more to your instincts than the back of the voice here. And well, so-and-so does this. And then you try to repeat what so-and-so does. Um, any, anytime I've ever had bad events, it's cause I've been listening to doc talker people, even people that are trying to help you out, man. You got a buddy that's called and got something figured out. He's like, Hey dude, do this. And then you end up doing it for two or three hours. You might catch a couple of fish or not, but it just threw you off your whole game. And the biggest thing that I'd like to do when I'm practicing is eliminate water, eliminate, 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 eliminate. It's the biggest deal. It's for me, it's, it's, it's so I can stay laser focused and, I can understand, you know, what the perimeters are of where I'm, what I'm fishing. So I say all that. Okay. To answer your question more directly. I mean, there's two things about Hartwell that excite me potential. We're going to hit it potentially in the spawn. That's exciting because <laughs> spawn time is exciting, but I don't know that that plays to my strengths over somebody else. So I'm kind of hoping that it's more of a nasty post-spawn. Like, we just get off the tail. Like, it warms up. They spawn over the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And then we get into a little bit of a funk, which they'll still be spawners even during the funk, right? And potentially, maybe the shad spawn doesn't happen yet. And so we got a funk going on. And that's where I think that will play to my favor if we have a funk going on of being able to, you know, when the fish aren't biting because they're hungry, when you're making them bite, I think that's that's my advantage over somebody else. It's not my favorite thing in the world. My favorite thing would be these fish are on beds in two foot of water. And we're throwing frogs over their heads and they're smashing or, you know, we're sight fishing. I mean, that's fun. I mean, that's fun fishing. Oh, yeah. But, but I don't think that that's um, – so I'm excited potentially for that because I think that could fall a little bit in my wheelhouse. Um, there'll be a lot of pressure. Anytime – lakes like look like they line up for you you get a lot like a pundit a lot of pundit pressure like as if you're supposed to just win it when it's like that and i haven't done very well yet when it's lined up that way so clearing my head of that and making sure i'm not you know spinning out trying to put too much pressure on myself i think it's going to be extremely important for hartwell but cherokee uh which is the next one coming up Mm -hmm. i am excited about um the reason i think i'm excited though is because of where i'm at in the points um, with it being eighth place fishing in the Southern, if I can somehow come out with a top 40 or even a top 10 again, I mean, good night, dude. That just has me sitting so close to the elites for the rest of the year. So of course it could, it could work opposite too on me, but, um, I, with the little bit that I've watched on, um, I've never been to any of these lakes, by the way. So like, um, the little bit that I've been, I've seen on Cherokee, it sets up. It looks like it sets up a little bit like uh, Keystone Lake, which is a local lake next to me, which we do a lot of flipping uh, flipping rocks a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'm comfortable with that. And then if they're not up in the rocks, you're going to be able to see them on live scope to some extent. So, you know, I think that that plays a little bit in my favor. I have studied the weights on Cherokee, and it looks like you got to catch them. Like, it looks like there's a lot of fish on the lake. You can come in with 12 pounds thinking you're doing good. And there's 40 other people that have 13 to 40, 14 pounds. Mm-hmm. And so you got potential to separate yourself, but you also have potential to, to do pretty well, but then not get good points. And so that's probably what I'm more ner- from the little bit I studied. That makes me more nervous of in practice. Okay. 
how do I get bigger bites? You know, yeah. so so that's that's what I'm looking like there. Um, the event after that is the James River. I I've never been to the James. Um, I guess it's title, you know. So we got a little bit of that to go in. I hear rumors of F1s in some parts, and you know others and things like that. I'm familiar with F1s and how they behave. It's going to be February, uh, April again, which you know, do they spawn? Do they not spawn during that time? It sounds like it could be you know a shallow water deal. That sounds like a lot. Of, honestly, it just sounds like a lot of fun fishing up there if you yeah. get around them. Is what it sounds like. So. Um, even though I do think you can live scope anywhere in the world, it may not be the smartest t tool for me to pull out all the time in practice. I may need to cover a lot of water, just, you know, fishing, fishing and yeah. try to get around fish. Sounds like there's a lot of dead areas. So that, that makes for uh, a harder event. Um, when you're talking about 225 boats, maybe crammed into certain areas. So, this is the little bit that I have in my head, guys. I'm just letting you letting it all out. I like it, man. I mean, yeah, yeah, Hartwell, and then after Hartwell, we got uh, we got Ross Barnett, which is the Southern or Central um, Open. I have been on Ross Barnett. Uh, I've been on Ross Barnett. I think it was around late May or June, somewhere in there. It was her Bass Nation Regional, mm -hmm. and what was really cool about that is I drew Jamie Leish the final day, like on a boater on boater draw. And I was like second in my state and he was leading the whole tournament. And we were supposed to go on my boat. So I gave him my boat because he was leading the tournament. And I got to sit back and watch him like put on a clinic. And wow. it was pretty cool. He won the tournament. I didn't have a chance at mine because my, my, and so I ended up in second place in my state. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I saw what they absolutely, absolutely do when they get off the, off the shore. Okay. I saw it. I witnessed it in my eyes. Like I had a first hand, <laughs> everything. And it was amazing. And then I've also seen, like I've studied, like I remember back when the opens went there and it was like a late February, early March deal back when like Tommy Biffle was fishing it and he was throwing the Carolina rig direct. And a lot of guys were just on top of each other in these little spawning areas. And so, you know, I've got an idea is what I'm saying is, and then, like I said, I was, you know, I spent a little bit of time in the water then. So I kind of know where they go and I know where they, you know, where they go to spawn and know what they do after that. And so by Mississippi late April, of course, there's always going to be some spawners, but they'll obviously, there'll be some post spawners, you know, by that point as well. So uh, there's a timber lake. It can be dirty and it also can be clean. So, you know, if it's clean, I mean, I might be able to put that live scope to work guys. And, and if they're post spawning at all, um, but if it's dirty, um, it may not be as much of a factor, um, as much of an advantage. So, yeah, it sounds like I have some exciting few weeks coming up for you. Then obviously we're looking forward to rooting you on. I, I got to give you props for being able to being able to look at like a, another, the next event and being like, Hey, if I can get another top 10, that'll have me sitting really good for elites where I know a lot of guys will like, even the thought of that will like make them spin out in that event and they'll just kind of like overthink everything. Whereas you can be like, Hey, if I do pretty good in this, I'll be sitting pretty good for that, that last Southern. So I, I give you props for, for being able to acknowledge that mentally and have it not get to you, or at least not let other people think that it gets to you. No, it doesn't get to me. I, I mean, dude, I think it's just like a fight, you know, I'd rather be up in the fight than down on the cards, you know? So like you're up, I mean, you got the momentum, you gotta, you gotta roll with the momentum. You gotta get behind, let it push you a little bit. 
And so I, I definitely feel like I'm, there's other people that are more scared of the fish than I am. I'm not scared of them. You know, we just gotta, yeah. we gotta land on them. That's, that's the deal. And, and, and dude, uh, I mean, <laughs> to everybody that's ever qualified for the elites through the opens, I mean, dude, it's, it's the gauntlet. It's everything we've heard and said, but you know, if, if you don't qualify in your, in your division and it takes all nine, like, you can't stumble. You know, I mean, you're going to have to fish. I don't know how many, if there's 80 guys that are fishing all nine. I don't know how many of them there are now, maybe a hundred. There's a lot of them now. There was like only 40. It's like twice that much now. And, you know, there's big, I mean, dude, Oklahoma, Zach Burge. Like, there you go. Like, there's a guy that belongs on the elites if he wants to be there. Like, he, yeah. yeah. So, you know, and we could go down the list of guys. So, you know, you can't worry about the guys. You just got to worry about the fish and then make sure you know, make sure that you're always catching a limit, even on the days when you think you need a swing, just go catch your, you know, make sure you catch your limit. And that way you get the points. The bigger picture. Yeah. yeah. Big picture. Mm-hmm. Dude. I know we we're, we're going over here, but one, one last question is kind of a personal deal. Uh, I can definitely see your confidence um, moving at that next level at that national scale per se. And again, you've always done Bass Nation and that kind of a thing. Um, I feel like, and it may be part of with, with Doc Talk and that kind of a thing, like I, I feel very, very confident. I feel that I feel like I can win anything at home, right? Whatsoever. And it's, I'm not talking to anybody. There's none of that going on. At that next level, how did you, do you feel that there was a turning point for you on building that confidence at that more national scale where you're on places you've never been. Uh, and that's obviously can go really, really deep, but do you, can you point to anything where you felt there was a turning point for you? Yeah. So mine was a slower process and I don't know, it's a maturing process. I'm 40 years old mm-hmm. and I got back into tournament fishing when I was around 27. So, you know, and then when I do something, I do it all in. Right. So during my twenties, I didn't fish. I didn't fish from the time I was like 18 till 27. I didn't even pick up a rod. Like I was focused on life and business. Right. So when I had the chance to get back in, I got back in with the Bass Nation, right? The reason I say this is the way the Bass Nation's form, um, you know, you end up going to regionals and you end up fishing on a team. And I think that, you know, I qualified for two national championships, so two Bass Nation national championships. And I've been three pounds away on a three-day tournament from qualifying for the Classic twice. And there might have been two or three guys ahead of me, but it was only three pounds split, you know I mean? Like sure. one, one good fish, you know, twice in three days. And I've, and in my regionals, I've never fished, finished below like third in my state. I've always been like first, second, or third in my state. And so I will say it was an accumulation of a lot of regional events, multi-day events on lakes that I haven't ever seen that have helped, you know, because I can look back and see the, the mistakes and I'm, I'm hard on myself. So if I see a mistake, you know, I try to go work on it. Get fixed. A little bit of combination of that, guys, and then a lot of uh, it's a mental. It's all a mental thing. Everything I'm saying is a mental. And and when I qualified for the Forest Wood Cup in 2019, so in 2018 I decided I was going to fish the Costas. I didn't have a lot of time to practice. I did mediocre. I qualified for the for the championship. Like I only was a top 30 or something. Qualified for the championship. I was in that you know, mid twenties or something, nothing spectacular. Right. Mm-hmm. And then at the Costa, um, I end up 
qualifying for that for the for the Forest Wood Cup. So I'm gonna go ahead and tell the medio medium long version for you guys. All right. Like it. Okay. And so I was raised in the fish farm. I was raised fishing. My dad, if the only thing that we had in life that we were born to was fishing and maybe college football. Like that was that was it. We we didn't really see eye to eye about any almost anything else in life. Uh, but my dad was my dad. I loved him. He was extremely hard on me. We didn't see things eye to eye, like I said. A lot of different, like whether it's faith or whether it's whether it was uh, politics, like we didn't see eye to eye. We we were very much opposite on a lot of things. Yeah. But we had we were unified and we loved to fish and 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 we loved watching college sports. Right. Mm-hmm. So my dad, just like anybody, it was my world, and he got sick with cancer in 2018. And when I I wasn't going to go to the Coastal Championship, and so. Uh, Kyle Cordiana actually called me and said, Hey man, you going to go. And I didn't want to tell him what was going on. I was like, no, nah, I got some, I'm busy. You know, I made up some excuses, which I had plenty of work. I always had plenty of work to do as, as a flooring contractor. And he was like, well, man, you should go. You might qualify for the fourth week cup. And I kind of laughed, you know, like, you know, like, and then I thought about it and it just hit me. I was like, you know, I, I might like, I'm going to. And so I, I went over to my dad, my, I kind of him hauled around because my dad was about to go through chemo and radiation and all that stuff. And he was like, he just told me, he was like, you need to go. I want you to go. And so he didn't want to be the reason to hold me back. And so I decided to go and my co-angler, he wasn't going to go if I wasn't going to go. So when I said I'm going to go, we just kind of jumped in and drove up there. And forgive me for not remembering the exact days, okay? But I think the tournament starts on like a Thursday. And I can't remember if you had an off day on Wednesday, okay? I can't remember that part. But I know this. We got there with only two days to practice. And so I'd never been to – it was on Kentucky Lake. I'd never been there. I put in the back of the lake. Uh, the back of a, like a sandy sandy bay or sandy uh-huh. creek or something, uh-huh. something like this. And so it was in the fall. There was a drawdown. And we start running out first thing in the morning. We start running out. And I looked down the water, and it was like brown, and it was green, and it was brown, and it was green. I was like, oh, it's what? And then I realized I'm running across these shoals that are this. I had, ze- <laughs> I had zero mapping on my boat. Like oh, I hadn't prepared man, for this thing. Oh. I hadn't prepared for it at all. I didn't have a chip map. I didn't have anything. And I mean, my electronics weren't working. I had nothing. I mean, I had no mapping or nothing. So I looked up and I saw a buoy, which I realized was a channel marker. And so I sat my boat in the boot right next to the buoy, and my heart's pounding. I'm like, dude, I about killed us. And uh, and I and I and my coin was like, what are we gonna do? I said, like, we're gonna fish this like okies. He's like, what's that mean? I said, look at that point looks good. So I trolled up to the first point, took my spook out, bombed it out there, and I'm like, Ch-ch-ch. and then, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I got one already. And I'm like thinking Kentucky Lake, right? I didn't understand that we were in that transition of the the carp tearing Kentucky Lake up. Okay. So I'm reeling it in. There's like 30 with it. My co-angler's spook is like 30 feet away and he gets one that eats it. You know, like I'm like, Oh wow. Look. And I was like, Oh, that point looks the same as this one. So I go to the next point and goosh. And so by the end of the day, you know, I got my hooks rolled and I've had an eight pounder, like with three other eight pounders, like trying to fight for the spook with the hooks rolled. And I caught like 30, you know, had 30 keeper bites. Yeah. And, And Kyle calls me. And he says, hey, man, how was your day? And I said, oh, dude, it was, you know, it was okay. I mean, I had caught them pretty good. I caught like, had like 30 keeper bites and had, saw a couple of eights. And I'm thinking Kentucky Lake, right? I'm thinking like, okay, this is good, but maybe not, you know, 25 yeah. pounds a day good. Kentucky Lake in its prime. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And he said, dude, he said, are you serious? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm serious. He said, I've talked to like 20 pros. And he said, no one got a bite today. No one got a bite. <laughs> and he's like, whatever you did, you figured it out. Like, 
I was like, you serious? He's like, yeah. So, so the next day I drove to Nashville and I got a chip card for, I had hummingbirds at the time. I lived in 98. So I, I brought it back, put the chip card in. And then I was like, okay, I can run around now. And I found a little hump, caught a four pounder on it on like an A-rig. We could throw an A-rig. And, uh, and that was my practice. That was it. And so I end up uh, top 10 in the thing. You know what I mean? Wow. And I think I finished sixth and, and dude, listen, I'm a, I'm a man of faith. I believe I just, I have a lot of faith that, that God's purpose things in my life. And that's one of those situations. Yes. Hard work. I'm not going to knock any of that stuff. Okay. But this is a situation where my dad got to hear a lifelong dream of me qualifying for the forest wood cup. He did not make it to see me actually fish in the forest wood cup. He passed away during that time. And so when I fished the forest wood cup and I feel like it was a gift, dude. Like I landed, I mean, I told you how my practice worked. Like first cast, first spot. The only reason I was there, cause I didn't have a map. I just set the oh, boat wow. down. Yeah. Um, when Forrest Woodcup came around in 2019, my dad passed away. I was just happy to be there. I felt like this was my pinnacle in the fishing. Like that's all I thought was going to ever happen. And You know, I get back to laying floor tile and be back. Now we had already started the bass tank, but it was a hobby that we were going to create like, lures and stuff like that and like a think tank for bass fishing is what how the name got the bass tank and so my partner scott was there because he's an engineer of mine he was like in case something happens i can be a backup boat and uh i broke down both days force wood cut brand new boat brand new electronics um and it was because it's all installed wrong and that's where the idea of us going in and i had live scope on the boat at that time i was one of the first ones to have it because of just the timing and being at the force wood cup and all that um, so that's where the idea of us, you know, doing the installs and coming and training people on live scope. And then I knew I was like, dude, this live scope is going to change everything. And so then we got that whole story. Okay. So I ended up, I mean, bombing the forest wood cup. I was like in the thirties or something like that, but I did, I did break down both days and like my last, my last three hours or something on day two. But you asked me about where it clicked. Okay. It clicked because I've got. 20 years of business experience, life experience. I've had a hard, you know, my twenties were way harder than most people's twenties. I wouldn't wish that kind of stuff on with people just, just the way life was. And so I've experienced a lot of stuff, man. And then I've been able to see a lot of fishing experience, you know, happen. And so it's a mental thing, 100%. And now I've got all the experience that I've had. I've also got all the life experience and I feel 100% blessed. The NPFL coming around 100% a blessing. The fact that I decided somehow got invited to fish the Wally Marshall, which I wasn't even a crappie fisherman the last week. And then the first Wally Marshall, we got second place. Uh, and then I got to tell all the crappie fishermen in the world about live scope and sell to all the crappie fishermen in the world. <laughs> uh, and, and then, and then, the next year I get invited to fish the MPFL. And so instead of chasing the elites or chasing something, I got to focus on crappie fishing again with, you know, work grew the business and then immediately go into the MPFL. And, uh, you know, I hadn't bass fished for a year and a half and I pick up my rods. I put my Wally Marshall at the Wally Marshall. I put my crappie rods down, picked up my bass rods, fished all winter. Wired the fish comes out first day on the water with them. First fish is a 10 pounder. Second day on the water, we catch an 11 pounder. I mean, I catch two double digits. They were the two biggest. I don't know if they've caught bigger or not. They were the two biggest. And then, you know, the NPFL comes around. I win the inaugural event. I win the third event. So, I mean, 
and to be honest with you, I'm leaving a lot of details out because I'm being a little shy about my faith. But dude, I just my confidence is in God. Like I have plenty. I mean, I know what I need to do as a fisherman. We can talk fishing all day long, but I do feel like I've been blessed. And as long as I continue to do what I need to do there about giving God thanks, um, this is like I'm just watching this thing grow. Like the bass tank taking off. All my fishermen, Jason Christie winning the classic, Sean Good winning the top ten again. Like it's, I don't know how people can't see the bass tank and say that we're not blessed, dude. Like it's just crazy the way things are going. And so yes, we can talk fishing all day long and talk about the way things are, but it's a mental thing. It's a thing of faith. It's like when something happens bad on the water, is it really that bad? Like right. I got a beautiful family at home. I'm, you know, I yes, I got responsibilities because I have stresses. I owe people money. I owe business money. Like everybody else does. I had the same thing. Um, and, but I put that stress and I put it on God. And then I let my instincts that, that, and the experiences that I've had, um, I can see things clear. You know what I mean? Um, then when you let yourself get spun out, I think a lot of us take fishing way too serious. We take everything we're doing way, way too serious. So then like our world's crumbling because that's the pinnacle of all we have. And that's, that's absolutely the last way to actually do good in the fishing world. You have to be at peace. You have to be calm-minded. Yes, we get that fire. We all get that competitive fire, like wells in us. Mm-hmm. But as long as you know how to, like, how to use it to your advantage and not use it to your detriment, mm-hmm. it, which it takes maturity. It takes experience. So that's a long version answer, guys. But that is, that is about as truthful and honest answer as I can give you. That was Sounds awesome. Like, uh, yeah, that was amazing. It sounds like positive people create positive environment, which creates positive results. Uh, 100%. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's awesome, dude. Mm-hmm. Well, man, honestly, that was, that was an incredible episode and I seriously can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your day. I know you're extremely busy to uh, get on here and chat with us. I know if anyone is still, you know, for folks that listen to this and the duration of this episode, if they <laughs> yeah, haven't, they haven't learned something, they should probably just quit fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned an immense amount on this show and seriously, thank you for that, John. It's been awesome. Thank you. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you guys. Anytime. Yeah. Well, John, good luck. Obviously uh, have fun getting all that tackle ready for your uh, long weeks <laughs> on the road. Uh, but we uh, will be rooting for you when uh, you get over to Cherokee and obviously through the, the rest of your week's competition, but kick some butt and uh, good luck, man. Safe travels. Yeah. Safe thank travels. You. dude. All right, John, we'll talk to you. Bye bye. Dude, talk about knowledge. Dude, yeah. I'm sorry. That that went really long. Uh, that was probably my bad asking a couple questions at the end, but I was like, dude, we got I gotta get some details here. That was incredible. Oh no, I I, I'm glad it went longer because that I think is so important. I mean, holy crap, talk about something that you guys can take from here is one, just in terms of how to approach fishing. Two, how to be at peace about it. And then three, just talk about freaking mindset. Mindset is the more like it's just it's everything, dude. It is everything in everything. Like it is, man, it just, you know, there's no secret pill. There's no, it's just, it's, it's all up here for sure. Like you get to a point where everyone can do the same thing fishing wise, right? Like everyone can make the right cast. Uh, Everyone's sufficient with finding fish and it's, it's the mental side at that point got the same gear but if you can if you can do it up here better than the rest then i mean because dude i mean straight up there's guys out there that are incredibly more talented than some of these anglers Mm -hmm. and you know 
you can get in the boat with them on a fun fishing day and you think, oh, I don't know how these guys aren't wreaking havoc on everyone. But the truth, the truth be told is on tournament day, they're just not mentally as, you know, strong or dialed as some of the guys that are just mentally. They might not be as talented of a fisherman, but come tournament day, you know, they don't crumble under pressure. They're just cool, relaxed, and they can get it done. Dude, you're, you're dead on. I think more and more I see, and this is just um, from fishing some of the opens as a co, and then the Toyotas too as a boater, like you, you see someone going out of the bank, like, oh my gosh, that's so-and-so pro, or you're fishing as a co behind somebody, and it's like, man, he didn't do anything that crazy. Like he was flipping and pitching, and it wasn't like something that blew me away. And I'm looking at this guy as someone who's super successful in the fishing world. And it all comes down to between the ears and that decision-making. It's like, he's not that much better than a lot of people, I think. And, you know, and I think, uh, someone too, that comes to mind as a realist in that, like if you ever listen to James Watson talk about, it, he's like, dude, I'm just a regular guy. Like I just, I'm, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm fishing professionally, but like, I'll be the first to tell you, like, there's a lot of guys that could do what I'm doing. You know, and it's, and then it's, oh, but it's yeah. the mindset and having that winning ability. It's crazy to me. Oh, yeah. there's so many guys that would probably whoop up on a lot of these pros that one just don't want to have, like quite simply just don't want that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And then two, just guys that can't afford to even try to get to that level right now. You know, guys yeah. that are, you know, got families, got a nine to five that can't afford to take that stab just yet. Or maybe they just, they just don't want to, but. It's a, it's a super cool rabbit hole to go down and huge thank you to John for joining us um, down below in the description. Guys, I'll have his social medias and his new YouTube channel that he made a few months back that I highly encourage all of you to go because there's a lot of learning from that as well. Um, and talking to YouTube channels, plugged it a little bit this week and I'll take a small plug here is I'm starting a little Love side it. gig for uh, some kayak fishing content. If you guys want to go sub to that, um, but looking forward to next week. What do you got coming up in the hopper Deacon for Monday? Monday, man. Yeah, we have got a great episode coming up with uh, Trent Palmer of Sonar Pros. More Sonar talk, man. This is the week of uh, electronics. It's funny kind of with the business from the best. So it seems like I, I get into a topic like bass boats and then I go and talk to a bunch of guys about bass boats and then it's electronics <laughs> or whatever. And, and uh, so, right. And we, it's like series. And so like, I don't know the last episode, um, if you missed it was a lot about forward facing sonar. And I did not expect that from the, uh, the owner of drop zone there, uh, a, uh, very unique drop shot weight, but anyways, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the topic we've been on as, as with suk up today, the master at it, it's going to be an episode on that. And I want to hear about his business and update. He's been on the show previously before uh, we had merged and everything. And, um, Man, he's he's seems to be killing it. He's fishing the NPFL and he's running the business. He's one of those guys we're talking about. Bailey uh, doesn't plan on fishing pro ever, but he's fishing the NPFL because he feels that a six event schedule that's spread out is something that he can handle and still run his business. Yeah, heck yeah. I mean, there's a few guys, you know, Jake Boomer from Alpha Angler, mm-hmm. John Suka. Like, there's there's a lot of guys that are in that in that field. But no heck doubt. yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm personally looking forward to listening to that episode. Um, for Tuesday night live next week, we do not have our guest in line yet. We have two in the works, uh, one that most likely can't do it, but uh, we'll get back to you guys when that is officially scheduled. But for next, th- uh, next Friday, we have Tristan McCormick coming. Very on cool. The show. Yeah. So that'll be a cool episode with a, a young gun who, uh, <laughs> Dave Mercer loved to talk about his hair on stage. That's about all he talked about. It was like <laughs> shampoo endorsements, but, uh, <laughs> We will promise to not talk about that for an hour's worth on that episode, but 
uh, a good week coming up. And, folks, we appreciate you guys. Stay tuned, and we'll see you guys next week. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.